You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. You are listening to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm Lewis Kornfeld. Uh, the guest joining us this afternoon, the great Sebastian Canale. Sebastian, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you for having me, Lewis. Yeah, man. Uh, we were just talking about uh, uh, kind of turning the joke in on yourself, dealing with childhood uh, uh nonsense and yeah kind of like embarrassments and whatnot do you remember like how old were you when that happened when you started kind of turning it against turning it on yourself um i remember uh well i remember the first time that like i realized that i could make people laugh yeah. was um the storytelling contest in like third grade i think yeah because before then i remember i was picked on pretty badly by not badly but like it felt bad you know um, I was picked on by people and I remember I was able to like tell a story and make people laugh the whole, or, like whole assembly. And it was like the best. And then I remembered, Oh, um, I could control if they make fun of me. And I was terrible at some points. I would make fun of people first. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just a defense mechanism. And then I think as I got older, I realized like, Oh, you don't have to make fun of other people. You can make fun of yourself first. And then you still control it, Mm -hmm. you know? Do you remember what the story was you told? Aaron Kelly's bones. Uh. And the opening line was, Aaron Kelly was dead. (laughs) I mean, he was really dead. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just a clear, like, like you state a fact, and then you have, like, a comedic reel moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. Like, Louis C.K. has that great bit about... uh, um, like what phones do to kids and the way that like it's important kids all do crappy things to other kids yeah but it's important that moment when you see in somebody's eyes that you just hurt them horribly and you have that feeling inside of like oh that feels bad for all of us sure don't do that again like you learn how to develop empathy and you learn how to be like a decent person how how, how so were you like did you go through like a bully phase where you were bullet preemptively bullying other people Yes, but this was my problem. I would, like, tease people, but then, like, I would secretly want them. Like, afterwards, I would, like, go up to them and, like, try to make them love me. Yeah. Because it was all about, like, I wanted everyone to like me. Yeah. So I would, like, tease them in front of the group and then secretly be like, oh, man, you know, like, talk to them and try to make them love me. Yeah. I mean, it's all about love, Lou, at the end of the day with comedy, you know? Sure, yeah, totally. It, It. I remember for me, it was about... So it was like the summer between sixth and seventh grade uh, um, where like the thought clicked of like, and it was like a specific, maybe I'm like romanticizing it looking back, but mm-hmm. I really do remember it as like a specific concrete, like moment of self-realization of like, turn it against yourself. If you get to the punchline before they get to the punchline, um, if anybody laughs, you win. Yes. It doesn't, you know, like you become invulnerable with that. And it was like a revelation of like, Oh, like, you spend all this time for me it was a thing of like i was very tiny i had a large head and big ears and you know what i mean like it's like whatever thing that sets you apart from other people uh um so like you're the butt of a bunch of stuff and and for me the thing that was really painful was just like oh he's a weirdo you know it's like i'm not a weirdo i'm not doing anything weird but everybody like treats you like you're a weirdo which now is like what what a compliment people love weird People people love weird people and so you kind of like learn this trick of like, if I just, instead of denying that I'm weird and trying to back away from it, if I actually, if I'm the first one to say that I'm weird, even if people don't like me, uh, uh, I win. 
Yeah, it's like leaning into the punch when, yeah. they, when you first learned how to box. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And it becomes, over time, like, no longer a defensive gesture anymore. It actually starts to become, like, a source of confidence. It starts to – it becomes this matter of pride of, like, oh, I can – I I don't know if this is, like, too stupid or going too far. Sure. I'm not – my personality is no longer at the whim of the way that the people around me are treating me as, like, a, a, a defensive gesture, as a response. Mm-hmm. I can actually build my personality from the inside out. I can choose how I act. Yes. And yeah. that gives me a certain amount of power over myself. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, I think even because that when I was younger, I felt like I started learning that. And then in my high school years, I like even when I was hanging out with certain people, I think I developed my personality enough that I was still a silly person. Yeah. You know, like I would hang out and go to parties, but I would and I would go and do things I shouldn't do. And like but I always kept that silliness about me because I learned younger that like, oh, this is who I am. Be proud of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I constantly uh, – I'm, like, of two minds of this. I'm sorry to keep on, like, delving into this. No, no, no. Uh, like, there's a the, – like, I, this has been on my mind a lot recently, the, this idea of, like, the way that the culture around us treats pride. You know, like mm-hmm. – and you kind of raise – there's this, like, unconscious, like, uh, um, idea of, like, pride being something gnarly. You know what I mean? Like, there's still, like, a little bit of that Catholic thing of, like, the sin of pride. And, like, an inflated ego is definitely not an appealing thing. Yeah. But there's a huge difference between pride and an inflated ego. Yes. You know, a huge difference between feeling superior to everybody and kind of realistically being able to embrace um, stuff that you, like, legitimately should be proud about. Yeah. I find I'm constantly oscillating back and forth between these places of either um, worthlessness or superiority complex and like the sweet spot is always that place in the middle where you're very realistically humble and also proud of the things that you should be proud about and that's a beautiful place to be like that's a whole character when you have that nice mingling of humility and pride well i think it it to get there you have to recognize when you go too far and recognize that you're like you're self-deprecating too much you know and i think because everyone's gonna do it um, I think, and like now to talk about comedy, I remember when I first started, I would beat myself up after every show mm-hmm. until someone said like, man, stop. Yeah. <laughs> like someone just flat out told me to stop. And I was like, you're right. They're like, no matter what the show happened, you did what you did, you know, enjoy a moment from it at least, you yeah. know? And then I wound up enjoying too much of myself. Uh-huh. Definitely. I hit a point. And then you realize you're like, You'd be like, oh, I, f- I, I like myself too much. And so I think it's about, like, recognizing what you're feeling, you yeah. know, being like, f- let yourself feel the emotion. Be like, oh, I'm feeling this. That's kind of inappropriate or this isn't helping me. You know, I should make that adjustment. Yeah. You, that's something that you can choose in your mind. You like you. I, I don't know if I could choose it, but I tell myself mm-hmm. that, you know, I'd be like, oh, that was a, sh- a shitty show. Um, OK, uh, move on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think if you say that enough. Eventually you can. Yeah. You know, it's like you lie to yourself until you actually start believing it. Yeah. It's interesting how that works, man. Like, uh, um, uh, for me, like I have definite, very definite moments where like I can feel a bad mood about to come on. I I have like Mm -hmm. a tendency to be moody. I can be like a very, like (laughs) catch me at the wrong time. I'm very like internal and moody. Sure. 
I have my moments where I can feel the mood about to come on. And there's like a critical juncture point where I just kind of know of like, if I choose to continue thinking about this, I'm going to be in a really bad mood the rest of the day. But right this second, if I choose not to think about this, it's just going to disappear and, and will be fine. Uh, and then sometimes I end up like thinking about it. You just become like obsessive about yes. like the injustices that are done to you or whatever the hell it is. And it's healthy to allow yourself to delve into that every so often. You totally. Know? Yeah. Um, but it's like, so if you go to a party and you're like not having fun, sometimes if you're like, oh, let me so- just try to give in and have fun. Yeah. Like fun almost could be a choice at parties, you yeah. know? Because I remember like I would go to family parties. I would sit by myself. I'd be like, if I made the choice to have fun at this, maybe I won't have fun, but at least I'll pretend until maybe I do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which, oh, this is this is fascinating because it's a very similar thing when you're improvising too. Mm-hmm. It's, you're faking it until you make it. Sure. And it's interesting the way that like those skills can translate into real life situations where you kind of just like forget about the fact that a lot of real life is about like pretending your way into actual experiences. Sure. A doctor just pretends until they're a real doctor. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, they learn stuff along the way, but like, and at the beginning of their like, uh, being a doctor, Jesus, I'm so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's it called? Uh, residency. residency. There he is. There he is. Uh, at the beginning of their residency, um, they, they're like nervous and stuff. And they fake it, you know, in front of the patients until they're confident, you know? Yeah. So I sometimes think about that. Like all professions are is just faking it until you forget that you're faking it yeah. anymore. Yeah. I like I still get that in family situations a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of depends on who I'm with in my family. But a lot of times, you know, a family get together will be going on and my brain just like shuts off where it's like not only am I sitting by myself and not talking, but there's no thoughts in my head whatsoever to talk about. I have like no opinions about anything and no feelings about anything. And it's not like a Buddhist state of uh, uh, enlightenment <laughs> of no mental chatter. It's just like I go dumb. And it feels like it can be really overwhelming when your brain just kind of makes that decision for you and you have no control over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, which I can only assume that that is some sort of like when you're really, really little, you say something or you do something that gets some kind of feedback from adults that you just kind of interpret in a way where it's like, okay, if I go blank and I don't then feel prompted to speak, no one gets mad or whatever it is. Yes. And so it becomes like a survival strategy that becomes like a, uh, just a core of your personality in those kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. It's a super interesting uh, uh, piece of magic to be able to recognize the cues that are around you and be able to make that choice in the moment to fake it till you make it, to just like be the person you want to be. Well, I think the difference between me and you, Lou, is that I think you can sit and be quiet mm-hmm. and people will be like, okay, Lewis is just like being him like you're a quiet man Mm -hmm. you know you i've seen you out and about being loud and fun but i'm like everyone expects me to be this big boisterous character all the time almost you know um so if i sit there and be quiet everyone's questioning what's wrong right where and i that's if i am acting out too much i Mm -hmm. worry that people are going to be worried of like something's wrong with him. sure and it's the opposite for me yeah we've talked about stuff like this like when I am nervous in a in an improv show, I'll do too much, and yeah. when you're nervous, you'll won't do uh, you won't do enough. Yeah, yeah, we're opposites. Yeah, that's <laughs> so interesting. Yeah, let's back up for just a second, because uh, um, you and I also have a beautiful thing in common. We're both island boys. Yes, yes. Born and bred in Staten Island, New York, uh, which 
to me, whenever I meet another Staten Islander, mm-hmm. it's always a genuinely exciting thing. Sure, it's great that we're in the city. Yeah, <laughs> it, we're in the city. Yeah, yes, yeah. Staten Island. Nobody outside of New York really knows Staten Island. No, a uh, few people in New York really know Staten Island. Mm-hmm. It's this sort of like weird part of the city that's not a part of a city. It's like a part of the city that belongs to New Jersey. It's a very strange place. Yes. What is like, this is probably a super general question, but like, um, what was it like for you growing up on Staten Island? Uh, it was, it was pretty good. I mean, like I, it's like suburbs where I'm from, you know? Um, but I, what part of the island are you from? I'm South Shore. So, um, it's like a big Italian, um, neighborhood over there and i remember i'm half swedish half italian and i would lie growing up say i was full italian so i would fit in more mm-hmm. um but like i actually think it's 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 nice now because um i don't feel like i, I feel like i'm a different flavor than a lot of people in the community in like in the improv and comedy world yeah. you know um but like because i kind of have uh People have called me like blue collar feeling almost mm-hmm. before. I don't feel that at all um, because compared to my uh, friends that I grew up with in Staten Island, I was like the artsy one. Yeah. But like, I guess compared to real artsy people, right. <laughs> I'm like a more down to earth, like normal guy. Yeah. Um. So I like actually that, you know, it. Um. the further I go along, the more I feel like I should be embracing that Staten Island-ish thing I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It it where did you go to school? Uh Staten Island Technical High School. Oh no kidding. Yeah. What year did you graduate? If you don't mind saying. Oh God. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to say. Well, I, no, I, no, I have a bunch I, of friends. I'm not who went embarrassed there. Yeah, of yeah. my age um at all. I'm twenty five. Yeah. Uh what was it two thousand seven? Okay. I, Lou, I could be so off. <laughs> That's fine. That's okay. I think two thousand seven, yeah. There two thousand seven? Yeah, okay. They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're like I don't know if this is good or a bad thing, but like pretty much once high school's over, at least for me, like time is no longer measured in the same. Like I remember really clear the ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade. Mm-hmm. I all have like uh, I've, there's clear mental landmarks for everything. After that, it's just like yeah, I don't know the two thousands. I don't know what happened. It's just a blur. It blurs together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I had a bunch of friends who went to Staten Island Tech out of mm-hmm. junior high school. Uh, um. Uh, and when did you start getting interested in in doing comedy? Well, I always, um, like, so when I was growing up, the choice in my house was to either help my dad, uh, do like yard work and like fix the basement or mm-hmm. go to this theater group with my sisters. Yeah. So being a lazy kid, I went to the theater group yeah. <laughs> and, um, I always did like the comedic roles, you know, and I had a friend there and me and him would joke around all the time. And I was like, definitely the funny guy there. Yeah. And then um, I did that, and I did the plays all through high school and stuff like that, and I would MC shows at the school, uh, at my high school. And uh, then after high school, I went to college, and I did nothing, you know? And um, I definitely felt that, like, void, you mm-hmm. know? I didn't realize how important it was to me to, like, enjoy, like, performing and stuff like that. And I guess through college, I would, like, I had a notebook and I would secretly write down jokes and stuff like that because I was like, I, I want to do comedy. I was studying engineering at the time and I had like an internship and I would just sit there and listen to like stand up albums and like podcasts all day long and like wouldn't do any mm-hmm. work. And um, until like one day uh, 
my parents for a gift bought me a UCB class yeah. because my sister went to FIT. So yeah. they knew about it. Even I didn't even know about it, you know? Yeah. And they were like, oh, here, we think you like this. And I was a bad level one student, though. How's that? Oh, God. Oh, God. I was so bad. <laughs> um, I was like the cliche bad student. One, I showed up a half hour late because, um, uh, is this okay? If I could talk for yeah, 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 yeah. I showed up a half hour late because I wanted to get high before the class, yeah. um, which I, I never did improv before, but I was like, F- uh, you know, let me just smoke weed and then go a half hour late to this class. Yeah. I showed up, and uh, then we were doing, like, serious scenes the first day of class, and then they were like, uh, it was uh, Eric Tenoy, and he's like, oh, okay, uh, so you're, uh, one of your parents just died. Just deal with it really. You know, we were just learning how to deal with, like, base reality and deal with, like, play scenes real. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, yeah, my dad died of ball cancer. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, okay, okay, let's stop it. Like, just imagine me, like, just all high, like, wearing Echo clothes, like, like throwing that out. I was just the worst level one student. And then, like, I look, I didn't, like, I was just, I thought I was too cool. I, uh-huh. like, I, like, w- was like, oh, this stuff is funny. I know it's funny. Yeah. And I think I started learning once I gave in and, like, was like, okay, I have a lot to learn, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, because in my level two and level three class, they formed practice groups and no one asked me to join. Mm. So that definitely hit. Yeah. Home. Yeah. I was like, Oh, uh, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. 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 And that was being obnoxious probably. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of strength of character to like recognize that too. You know, like it, because like it's the easiest thing in the world to be in that situation and, and to compensate by just being like, fuck these people and fuck this place and, and become really angry. Mm -hmm. But to be able to kind of use that to kind of like assess yourself and like kind of objectively look at your own behavior and make a choice off of that assessment. Like it's not an easy thing to do. Well, I wanted it. Yeah. I think that was the thing. Yeah. Like I, I cared about it more than my feelings. Yeah. Which is great. Um, but it's scary. When did the click happened going from being kind of better than the class to wanting it. Um, well, after level three, I, I was like, I didn't know what I was like all stressed. I was like, I don't know. I I feel like I might stop. And then I was like, Oh, there's, I took the magnet intensive Mm -hmm. and I feel like that kind of helped switch it up a little Mm -hmm. bit. One, because I started at level one again. So I felt more, I felt confident going in, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I felt I was like, oh, all these people were – it was a very nice – it was an intensive, so we were together all day long. Mm-hmm. So we all got to know each other. You know, um, when my other classes, I would go to class and run away. You know, I remember lying about seeing shows in my first mm-hmm. few UCB classes. Mm-hmm. I, I remember one I walked in. I was like, yeah, I saw the Step Brothers this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> what other <laughs> asshole would say that? Like lie about seeing a show and not even look up the name of, of a show. Um, but then I guess with the intensive, it like, there was, it was, uh, we hung out all day long cause it was from like 10 to four or something, yeah, yeah. five days a week. So we hung out all day long and then they would be like, Hey, we're going to do this right now. So I'd be like, all right. It was like, just as soon as my college semester was ending for the summer. So I was like, all right, I might as well do this. I just hung around with them all day then. Yeah. And then slowly, you know, we formed a practice group and then I guess that's how it started. You know, yeah. part of like even if you're really funny and even if you know comedy really well, like 
still scary as hell to be improvising and and because like you're risking so much more than your own sense of humor it it there really is this thing where it's like it's 100 percent of you on show in front of these people yeah and so you know it's a really easy thing for defensiveness to creep back into that and for like attitude problems to kind of gloss over a feeling of like embarrassment or uncertainty Mm -hmm. and like the solution to it more often than not like at least in my experience, it really is. It's not like an accumulation of technical skills. It's like learning to uh, accept the other people around you and be accepted by the other people around you. And it like diminishes some of that embarrassment, you know, and puts you in a place where like it feels kind of good to be up front and center and to have people watch you and to have people kind of hanging on the next move that you're going to be making. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, um, so, okay. So, so what kept you early on in those classes out of curiosity? Like, cause like if level one was something that you were kind of like tossing off a little bit, what mm-hmm. made you sign up for two and three? I, uh, I always wanted to do comedy and I did stand up a little bit and it, I hated it. Um, it's like, even though I was like so pushed far away and like pushed myself away from people in the class, it was like at least the people wanted to be around me. In yeah. stand-up, it's like, oh, who could be the angriest and not talk to people, yeah, I yeah. felt, from going to open mics. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't confident. So I was like, oh. And I just, Lou, I wanted it so bad. Yeah. I mean, I still want it, you know? Like, that's why I take so many sacrifices in my life, just to do comedy all the time. Yeah. I just, I think if you want something bad enough, you're willing to be like, like put your own ego to the side, put your own, like, um fears to the side i think that's all it is yeah and i think that um i feel bad for people that aren't able to do that mm-hmm. um because i i feel like everyone must want it very badly you know i feel like people that sign up for multiple classes must want it very badly i think it's about being able to put yourself uh second to wanting it mm-hmm. uh um can you amplify that a little bit that's a super interesting idea um, so I live at home with my parents. I, uh, I don't make a lot of money. I commute every day back and forth from Staten Island. Yeah. I don't live the normal life of a 25 year old, you yeah. know, but I want to perform. Yeah. That's all I want to do. And I recognize that. I say the only way that I'll ever be able to live a life, the life that I want to live is by sacrificing the things I have now, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think that at a certain point, I like I had an engineering job, um, and I was like, I hate this. You know, I'm not going to find happiness. I was making decent money, and I was like, this is not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I learned like through that, like money isn't what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not going to get me happiness. Well, I'm going to buy crap. You know, like who cares? You mm-hmm. know. What makes me happy is like literally, it's so selfish. It's making other people happy. Yeah. Um, and it's, it sounds super nice, but it's not. Right. Yeah. 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 It's super selfish. I get it. Yeah. I I look at it. I get it. Yeah. It, it, they're like, there's a thing going back for a second to like being a kid, Yeah. you know, and, and my experience of it was, um, I feel horribly awkward all the time. Mm -hmm. I feel horribly embarrassed of myself all the time. I don't like relate well with other people. I feel really weird. I feel really inhibited. 
And then for whatever reason, whenever we have to read something, uh, like a play or something in class, uh, I can do it really well. And people laugh at me. Yeah. And it feels amazing. And it starts to like build this thing in you a little bit where it's like, all right, it feels really good to be entertaining other people. And it feels really good to be the center of attention. But it also plays up like you need an ego to be a good performer. Of course. Because on a certain level, whether you're a stand-up or a sketch performer or or an improviser or whatever, a performance artist, whatever, you know, on a certain level, there's like a part of you that feels like oh, there's something special about me. And, and you know, like sharing that out with people uh, um, entertains them and makes them happy, but it also gratifies this sense of like I'm a special person. Yes. You know, you have to kind of like go off the assumption that that's true. That's not denying that other people aren't likewise special people. No, not at all. But it, I think it's a lie to not accept that. It's like that's sort of like very much at the core of performing anything is like you feel like you have something worthwhile in you that like other people should be exposed to. Yes, 100 percent. And um, I think people worry that um, that you feel like uh like you have a big ego if you think like that. But, right. Um, honestly, it's the same. Anyone that's signing up for level two, level three, level four has to feel that inside them. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, I understand there are people that do it for fun because they want to let loose. But at some point inside of them, they have to feel that. Yeah. And I think it's like I just fed that feeling a lot. You yeah. know, like yeah. I was like, oh, that feels so good. Let me just keep on giving it. I overindulge. In right. Right. So, so like that, I just. I overindulged in trying to get that feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that goes back to that, like, um, pride versus arrogance thing. Yes. Because, like, you know, if you uh, if you lie about that to yourself, and, like, far be it for me to put words in other people's mouths, but, like, it's certainly true of my experience. On my more honest days, it's definitely, like, I'm a special guy, yeah. you know? Uh, um, if you lie about it to yourself and you kind of surround it with, like, false modesty... Uh, and you give yourself all these like altruistic reasons for everything that you do, all you really end up doing is creating this like grotesquely arrogant shadow part of your personality that secretly feels like it's better than everybody. Yes. And it feeds all this ugly, gnarly shit into your behavior over time that like erodes it at your relationships with other people and it erodes it just like you acting like a decent person. Mm -hmm. But like owning up to it and risking coming across a little bit egotistical but like acknowledging that like, no, you know what? Like I have an ego. I'm a special guy for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's sort of the battery that's like running the stuff that I do. I think in a lot of ways actually makes it a lot easier to not build false uh, superiority. I, I, if anything, it makes you accept your humilities in, in a much more honest way. Mm-hmm. And also I feel like if you keep it like a secret, like, like be like, Oh, I'm going to act like, or like be like humble around people and then feel this way inside. Yeah. I feel like secrets like cause something evil. Yes. Um, if you're just like, Oh, I feel like I'm great at this. Yeah. Like, and you're open about it. People will be like, Oh, he, he acts like this, but like, you know, we know exactly where he stands. Right. I always like to pride myself on being very honest with my emotions. Yeah. I, I, I don't also, I don't pride myself. I, I, <laughs> I can't hide them. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Which is like a huge gift. Uh, yeah I mean, i'm sure i don't know it must be a pain in Sometimes, the ass in some cases but for improv it's a big gift yeah because i definitely approach it from an emotional standpoint like for sure especially i I like to react so like 
I love when someone just shoots a line at me and I just let it, it hit me, you yeah. know, as someone that's very emotional, you, that's comes easy then, you yeah. know, do you, when, okay, this is a question I'm always really curious about because like, um, for me, like I have more of a quiet energy to me mm-hmm. and, and everything ends up going through my brain first before a reaction comes up when you react really strongly. Cause that's one thing that you're just like adept at you're like explosively uh, reactive on stage. Is that something like, are you making a choice in that moment to like hear something particular that somebody's telling you and make a reaction out of it? Or is your body kind of leading you into it? My body's leading me. Yeah. Um, I forget, I, I forget if it was Alana or Alex, uh, Marino that told me Alana Fishbein, uh, but they were like, have a Sebastian, uh, you should try this. Uh, when someone like, uh, says something to you, just have an, um, an emotional noise come out of you mm-hmm. and then follow up with your, uh, with your dialogue uh, matching with that emotional noise. Cause the emotional noise comes from your gut, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and usually, uh, that emotional noise is the simple choice and the right choice, like, and not the right choice, but the right choice that you feel inside the honest, more honest choice that you feel rather than like, be like, Oh, this person wants me to be angry at them right now. But Mm -hmm. if you don't, if you didn't feel genuine anger from them, you know, that's probably the more honest choice in the moment. Um, so I usually follow my gut then from that point. Mm -hmm. And I always like to put the cart before the horse. I like throw something big out and see, and then work my way back up, throw something big out, work my way back up to try to make it make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I first started seeing you around, uh, the first thing that struck me about the way that you were playing was exactly that, that you would kind of throw out stuff in a scene that was sort of random, Mm -hmm. not random in a way that it was just like bizarre curveball, but like you'd be relating to your partner, but then you'd throw out some random detail elsewhere that would then you would play a game of catch up around. And I remember being so impressed by that because it just made the scenes fun, like malleable. They weren't like precious. You didn't seem like you were afraid of breaking anything. Like you could make these choices for yourself, but like, unpredictable in in a really exciting way that's always been something that uh, i think is like a real um gift that you bring when you're playing oh thank you lou um i mean uh also that's exciting for me yeah to do that you know and it's improv people know if if oh if i couldn't uh, justify something exactly or make it make perfect sense the audience is so forgiving yeah because they know you're making it up um Anthony Atamnik likens himself. He goes, oh, I'm a plate. I I spin plates, you know? And I could see how far I could let them go till they almost hit the ground, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's the same thing, you know? Like, it's very exciting to throw something big out there, you know? And and be like, ooh, ooh, I got to run. I got to fix this, you know? Like, you let your gut work and then your mind work. Your gut work, then your mind work. Yeah. It's, It's more exciting than being like, oh, I should say this and then this and then this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a shitty, stupid question. Feel free not to answer it if you don't want to. Go ahead. What in your mind is like the key essential thing? What would you sort of boil the element that you absolutely need to be improvising really well with? For in general or for me? Either or. In general, listening. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. If a team doesn't listen, that's then it doesn't matter what else they're doing. Yeah. How about for you? Um, I would say... Uh, I mean, it changes right now. I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to work on like being more like clear justifications. Okay. Um, but for me, it's probably calm down <laughs> in general. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've gotten better at that, but, um, I remember like circuit shows, a program at the magnet. I was like, 
one show, I w- I was in all three first beats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I had no self control. You know, I just wanted to get out there. Yeah. But um, and also that has to do with listening to how much I'm involved in the show. Yeah, right. So. You you have a responsibility when you're in a long form show to be monitoring stuff like that. It, you it, you're not only paying attention to like yourself and your scene partner and the content of your scene, mm-hmm. but like you need to have like an ear open to like the music of the whole show and the energy of the whole show. Like, every, and that's not just everybody on the team needs yeah. to be aware of like. We need a different energy now. This has been too sad. And it, just for like the sake, not, not, I don't mean that from like a thing of like, oh, this is too sad. We need something funny. I mean, no. it from like, this is really sad. If we really want to continue the sadness and heighten it and make it engaging for people, we need some contrast right now to give people a break so that when we return to it, they feel it. And it just doesn't feel like monotony, mm-hmm. you know? And part of that is like your participation in a show. You have to monitor how much you're needed right now. Totally. And it's also listening to the audience and seeing how they're, because I, I don't know, you could feel an audience yeah. when they, oh, oh, they're, they, they're had enough of this. You know, yeah. we need to give them a break for a second. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I, that's why I would have to say listening because it is like, oh, I, I, I've contributed my voice so much into the show. Let me back off. So, and like, let me enjoy these other people's voices. So then when my voice comes back, it could pop even more, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and listening is a skill, not a talent. Can you, uh, uh, talk more about that? That's like a Gauss's thing. She always would say at the beginning of her workshops. So that means you could get better at it. Yeah. So if listening is the most important thing in improv to me, um, that means, and it's a skill that means anyone should be able to get great at it. Yeah. And if that's the most important thing and you're a great listener, then you should be able to get pretty great at improv. Have you, do you have like certain things that you practice to develop that or have, uh, I, uh, I remember for a period of time, I would listen to people and then listen to tone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and now it's actually annoying for like average everyday people for you to listen to tone. Yeah. They don't like that yeah. because they have a tone, but they don't want you to address the tone. Right. But in improv, you 100% have to address the tone. Yeah. Because they say it in a tone, but then once you're like, oh, you're, you're upset about that, and they don't want, no. What do you mean? No. Yeah. yeah. They get defensive about it. But you need to listen to tone also. Yeah. So it's not like just listening to, oh, my name's Mark, your name's Samantha, you know? Yeah. It's listening to how they say things also. Yeah. That's even more important in a way than listening to just what they said, how yeah. they said it. When I started um, teaching for the first, like, year or so that I was teaching, mm-hmm. I would start off most of my classes by having people just, like, looking at each other, you know? <laughs> like, uh, um, uh, and they hated it. it, it like, but the, the point of it was, like... It was like a little bit of a vulnerability exercise and also a little bit of like checking in with your senses and being honest with your senses and and skipping past making judgment calls about people mm-hmm. and just noticing shit, yeah. seeing things really specifically. And um, I find it highly useful. Uh, um, students hated it with a passion. And I feel like part of it is it's embarrassing but part of it is also like that tone thing as well of we have these sort of like carefully built up defenses mm-hmm. in our behavior that support our own, the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And as soon as people are paying close attention to like the minutia of it and not just listening to the words that we want them to hear, but actually see the way that we're carrying ourselves, there's all of a sudden a really uncomfortable 
vulnerability to that. Yes. Which if you want to act and you want to do comedy, that's the thing that you can't deny about it. That's the thing that you actually sure. have to embrace. It's Every that soft spot. Every great person has to, comedian, actor, artist needs to be able to be vulnerable. Yeah. Now, I'm curious what you think about this because in my mind it's that thing. Going back again to like mm -hmm. this idea of like when we're kids we have this moment where we sort of make a choice to like be the butt of our own joke. Yeah. To me, it's like that isn't just a once-in-a-lifetime thing that sets you on a course of who you are. It's constantly relearning that idea of like finding the weak spot in your in your armor and embracing that weak spot all over again. Totally. And that's how you become a better and better actor all the time. Yeah, yeah. You need to know like – and also those weak spots are what make you you. Yeah. Like a perfect uh, – a perfect – by what's it called armor yeah jesus another dumb moment from sebastian <laughs> <laughs> um if you have a perfect armor and there are no chinks no uh dents in it uh then what is it right you know, it's, it's boring it's boring yeah. exactly it's the it's the dents and the imperfections in the armor that people are excited to watch yeah and uh it's it, that that's what you need to embrace and that's what you need to highlight as like a comedian or an actor yeah and it's hard. It's scary to be like, this is what's wrong with me, and that's what makes me great. Yeah, yeah. There, you know, when you're, I have, I have this thing that I talk about in class sometimes. I apologize for how pretentious this is. No, we, we, we've already got. You're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Way past. Jesus. <laughs> There's a thing when you're younger, right, where like you look at the way, like the purpose that laughter serves in people's lives. When you're like twelve, thirteen. You do not ever want to be laughed at by anybody yeah. because laughter becomes this cue to kind of let everybody else in the tribe uh, 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 point out something about what you're doing or something about the way that you are. Uh, uh, and the laugh is a cue that says, don't do that and don't be like that. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a laughter that's based on conforming to this kind of standard. Yes. And a lot of times, you know, it's just like basic psychology people will start bullying and initiating those laughs as a way to kind of get the focus off of themselves and point out some other weird flaw mm -hmm. about somebody else. A lot of people coming to improv classes who aren't necessarily pursuing a career in showbiz, but they're just like whatever is drawing them to class apart from yes. career options. A lot of them I have found on some level have kind of not moved through that place yet. And improv, and I guess comedy in general, but improv is my frame of reference, mm -hmm. is interesting because it now you move through the other side of that and you kind of realize that that place of, of laughing to point out the weird thing to, to, to have you uh, um, conform away from that is just one kind of like phase. Then the second phase is now learning the opposite where it's like in our kind of laughter – we're laughing because we love you for that weird thing, and we want you to be more of that weird thing. Yes, and improv is 100% like that. Yeah. You know, we laugh. Oh, that was unusual. Uh, we all laugh at that. Great. We want to see that unusual thing again. Yeah. We don't, wanna, we don't want you to hide that unusual thing and then try to be as normal of a, an accountant as you can be. You right. Know, we want to see that unusual thing again. Yeah. And I think it's about embracing it, uh, that uh, embracing, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, let me double down on that mistake and make it again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that is a vulnerability thing because I'm a person on stage that makes mistakes constantly. Yeah. And they're usually an accident. You know, I'll like mispronounce a word or like 
I'll stumble on something and then I'll be like, oh, the audience laughed at that. Great. Oh, I should uh, double down on that. So, yes, it's they're pointing out something that I did wrong. Uh, a person that's not comfortable with their vulnerability will, like, not do that again. Right. But for comedy, you need to do that again and harder. Yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting thing. This happens in classes all the time. And I my contention is that it happens to audiences, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in our corner of the world, when people do it again and they embrace that that thing about themselves, you make the people around you feel very comfortable. Yes, because it's like, oh, we're not laughing at him or her. We're laughing with them yeah. now. They're in on the joke, too. So everyone's in on the joke. There's no one that's an outsider to that joke. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I think, like, in an improv class setting, it makes it easier for other people to then let their own kind of weird shit hang out because there's a spirit of acceptance to it. And there's a spirit of, this is uh, super pretentious, there's a love to it. It, people love you for it. They love you for being who you are, and it makes it easier to just relax into who you are and let down the fucking guard. It's easier to love a flawed person. Yeah. It's harder to love a perfect person. Yeah. It's just that because you just dealing with yourself, you know? It's like, be like, oh, look, at they know what's wrong with them. Isn't that great, you know? And they love themselves. I should love them too. You totally. Know? Totally. Yeah. yeah. That's, again, man, we keep on, like, going back to, like, this pride thing, but, like... Um, it's hard to love somebody who acts superior. So, yeah. But when somebody's just proud of who they are, like on all sides of it and embraces it, it actually makes it like you like yourself better when you're around that person mm-hmm. because it's easy to be around that person because you're not dealing with their neurotic bullshit. Sure. And I mean, that's, and that's why like being involved in uh, like a comedy or improv community is so important because I learned from people I was around, like, Oh, they're okay with being flawed and making fun of themselves. I should feel better about being flawed and making fun of myself. You know, it's that love thing, you know, like they love themselves and people still love them, even though they point out their imperfections, you know, so I could do that and people will still love me. Yeah. Totally. Jesus, Lewis, what did you make me do? Sorry, man. <laughs> you're going to look back on this in 10 years. You're oh. going to be humiliated. This Grant, is... don't you laugh over there. I'm going to get an email from you in the year 2025 oh. begging, can we find a way to take this off? Can we get this out of the internet? But it's going to be impossible. It's going to be impossible. Oh, God. Uh, no, but it's good, man. Like, it's... I mean, I mean it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. That, but that's exactly the thing that makes it so embarrassing to say. Is, of course. You know, but I love it, man. Like, I really do, at the risk of sounding like a complete asshole about it. Um, uh, there's a lot of, like, iron. It, this always pissed me off. Like, in college, people would get together to watch movies to make fun of movies. And you would only talk about what you didn't like about it. And mm-hmm. after a while... Uh, it was like, all right, it's fun to hang out and, and have a laugh about shit that's stupid. But after a while, it's like, what do we like? Yeah. What do we love? It's so much scarier to do that. And, and, but, but if you don't feed, like, it's really easy to feed sarcasm and it's really easy sure. to feed irony. It's the easiest form of comedy. Super easy. Yes. And it becomes a way that you live your life. You live mm-hmm. your life in this way where you're just kind of like detached from shit. It not only does it take like, courage but it's really hard to feed what you love and it's super easy to find reasons why you don't like shit or why you're superior to shit very hard to articulate what you love about something because a lot of times what you don't like there's a glaring flaw that you don't like Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about movies now yes yes what you love there's just kind of like it's like a more of there's like a unity to it it's hard to pinpoint exactly what you love about it it just you're in love with it Mm -hmm. so like i like 
I think it should be talked about periodically. At the risk of sounding like a complete asshole, you have to say it sometimes or, or else you lose connections with that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's important. It, it totally is. I mean, like, it's – and it's also if you're like, oh, this is this is dumb, it, it's easier for to say that because people will be like, you're right, that's dumb. If you're like – because you're not making yourself vulnerable. It's the same thing. Yeah. If you're like – I love this. This is this was fantastic. It's always more. I always feel more nervous to say I love the movie than I hated one. Of course, it's always so much harder. Yeah, because if uh, the you're expecting the other person to go, what that movie sucked. You know, what are you talking about? You know? And then and then prove you wrong. Yes, and then it's always a debate. Who? Uh, why would you like that? You know, like yeah. um, it's so much. And also, when you show what you love, that's showing who you are. Yeah. Um. I. It's like on, in comedy, people either show like what they love in improv or they show who they are. And that's, I think, the two ways to show like vulnerability on stage also. Can you, can you amplify that? So like um, someone like Matt B. Weir, uh-huh. um, he shows what he loves on stage, uh-huh. right? Um, he shows the type of humor that he loves. He's never like playing himself right. when he does improv or even sketch really. But he shows what he loves. And by showing him – by showing like – Oh, I think these types of jokes are funny. I think this is um, this is my favorite type of like movie and stuff like that. By having those clues, we know who you are as a person. Uh-huh. And then I think there's other people like um, like I would even say you uh, who show who you are. You're real on stage, so we don't even need to see what you love as much. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's uh, a super interesting way to think about that. That that is giving a lot of food for thought. Yeah, I. I, I it, yeah. You're totally right. Like, as soon as you point that out, it's like, I know exactly what you mean about Matthew Weir, too. You know this guy's tastes immediately because sure. he just puts them up there. And he's never I, – I, Matt B. is never playing, like, a real super grounded person right. that's himself. Yeah. But he puts himself out there, and he's vulnerable. Yeah, right. Yep. Uh, um, what do you – this is another general stupid question. Sure. What do you think about audiences? And I'll explain what I mean by that. Okay. Yeah, please. Uh, um, I, there's a difference – like um when you're in a relationship with the audience where it's i'm performing you're watching mm-hmm. watch me perform yeah versus something that's a little bit more i don't know communal something a little bit more like we're in this together like for me my favorite moments always have this feeling like i'm sharing something with an audience Yes. And it, it sometimes it, it will come, I'm hosting a show and I'm actually making eye contact with people and actually joking with individual people in the audience. And it just sort of feels like, all right, we're together. There's a back and forth and we're all one kind of big thing now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's you're in the middle of doing a scene and you just kind of like feel it. It, it, it. You're not making that eye contact, but you feel this thing of like, they're with me and I'm with them. I'm feeling shifts in attention and I'm able to move along with that. Like, obviously we do this stuff for an audience. We're kind of creating this stuff in the hope that people like it. How mm-hmm. do you see your relationship with the people coming out to see play? Um, I guess it depends what I'm doing. Um, at If it's improv or sketch or like hosting a show. Yeah. So if I'm hosting a show, I want to, I want, I con- I'm making eye contact with the people. Yeah. Like I want to relate to them as individuals, you know, and I want, I almost like ask them to talk back to me, you yeah. know, because I want them to feel engaged and comfortable. Um, honestly, for a, my best improv scenes I've done, I haven't thought about the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is weird because that's a problem that I have sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I give in to the audience too much. Mm -hmm. I'm like a person that chases shiny objects mm -hmm. because I like to get the laughs. Um, so that's why my best scenes have been when I like detach myself from the audience a yeah. little bit. Um, because I sometimes feel like too much of like, ooh, yeah, yeah, let me let me control this, you yeah. know? Um, I will – I'll say something about that though. It, there are people who give in to the audience and just like go after the laugh and do the easy thing and you get like super annoyed watching them because it's a constant bailout. It's just mm – -hmm. you know what I mean? Like when you do it, you have this like magical thing where it's like yeah, – it works. It still works. It, it doesn't feel like like for other people it feels like an ego thing, it, you know what I mean? Like it, it, when you do it, it's almost like you're having you're taking so much pleasure in that moment of getting those laughs and keeping them going that you kind of like are willing to suspend like okay, whatever, forget the scene for a second. Let's keep, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> sure, and I think that has to do with the relationship I have with the audience. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you like this? Well, let's do this for a couple of minutes. You yeah. know? Oh yeah, we'll get back to it. You know? Yeah. Because I do know, I think I have gotten better at this. Um, I will go away and then I'll be like, oh, I'm too far. I need to bring it back in. Yeah. And I'll usually like after I feel like I go too far, I'll be like, I'm going to just say a real line and try not to get a laugh. Yeah, um, because I, it is a relationship with the audience that you have to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going. We're going. OK, I, no, we're all done. Okay, yeah. Let yeah, me yeah. Bring it back. Yeah. Um, but you got to give them a break, too. Like yes. you, you, you squeeze the laugh out of people. You then got to give them a break to, like, recharge again. They mm -hmm. got you, you got to you need air as much as you need heat for that mm -hmm. fire. You know what I mean? You need to build up that potential energy inside yeah. of them. You know? Yeah. Um, but definitely, I uh, I think that I I I also I, oh God, this is so uh, um I sometimes like to consider myself like a conductor yeah, of yeah. laughs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so like I love it when I'm doing like a sketch or improv. I'm like, okay, nothing, nothing, laugh. Yeah. And oh god, this sounds so pretentious. No, yeah, it does. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, I love when I'm able to control it. Yeah. Too. You know, when I'm able to be like, okay, I'm not. I don't want to laugh right now. This is about to get a laugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, and when it works, when you when you're like just. When you're in queue with the like, I think the audience has as much to do with it as I do, you yeah. know, because they're connected to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like it, that is super pretentious, but it's also true. Like, because like comedy works on a very musical level. Totally, and I uh, did a lot of music before I did comedy. Yeah. So you understand stuff like that, you know? Yeah. What did you yeah. do? What did you play? I played piano for many years. Oh wow. Yeah, I was forced by my parents. Really? <laughs> yeah. Are you still good? Do you still? Like I could still play. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But uh, but I don't like to play in front of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, and I think every artist should have like another art thing that they do. Yeah. Because I sometimes play, and I I don't care about how I sound, and I just play for the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a really good way not to become sort of like monomaniacal about things too. Mm -hmm. you, you, you need like. You need to have these like other mental conduits that are like feeding you experiences from elsewhere to translate into the comedy that you're creating or else it just becomes very like um, like a copy of a copy of ideas. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, but like going back for a second to that, like of conducting of it is like it's a very special feeling. Uh, um, it's like an altered state of awareness when you're in it where it's like you feel 
the building and breaking of the tension of the stuff that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I totally get it. It was like, there, I, I've had this, I was just talking about this the other day. Uh, um, uh, I remember being in a boss show one time yeah. where um, this, like, thing in my brain clicked. And it was just this thought of, like, go now. And I didn't have an idea at all about what to do but it was like a very specific it was like this little guy in my brain was like giving me like a jab and say now and so i just stepped out and did whatever i don't even remember what the hell i said and it got a huge laugh and it was this thing of like it doesn't even matter what the content is in that moment it's a rhythm question yeah and and there's that part of your brain that suddenly picks up on that rhythm just on the music of it i was like now is the time nobody even gives a shit what you're saying now what they care about is the nowness totally totally and it's a really exciting feeling because like you feel yourself operating on a different level you feel yourself thinking in a way that you're not thinking on a day-to-day basis people make fun of me all the time because they're like what you said wasn't funny at all why did that get a laugh yeah and it's just because it's like it's the moment to do it yeah 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 uh um people all the time lois my sketch team makes fun of me all the time because they're all like We'll be riffing on ideas and then like i'll say something and they'll be like well that wasn't funny sebastian we all just laughed because it was you yeah yeah did you um what is it uh oh what's the show with um ricky gervais on on and steven merchant uh not extras not uh life's too short is it yeah yeah life's too yes um, I think it's the episode where Liam Neeson is. Sure, that's is, the only good part of that show. That's great. like the greatest scene ever. I think it's Liam Neeson who they're explaining of like, well, you can't, you can't say these things, and mm-hmm. he's like, but Ricky says it all the time. Yeah, we don't know why that works. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, uh, um, and it's true. Uh, uh, there is like a certain. There's a way where like certain ideas in and of themselves aren't funny, but either the timing is right or the fact that it's being filtered through your voice makes it right. And it just kind of works. I personally love that stuff. I That's the stuff where it's like there's real magic there because you can't really break it down to figure out why. It's just the kind of it, – it, it, it's like more like holistic comedy in a way. Sure, yeah. I mean and that's – I mean – I say that, and I take that as a compliment, not an insult. Yeah. When people say that to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, like, oh, if you said it, it wouldn't be funny? Wow, that must – that says a lot about me. Then. Yeah. 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 Um, but totally. I mean, that's what everyone strives to do, and that's what I guess a voice is, you know? Yeah. Like a comedic voice and all great comedy talents that people know have that. Yeah. And I think you should push yourself to try to find – you know? Sebastian Canelli, thank you for talking yeah, to us. Yeah, thank you for having so, me. Yeah, this is great. You can be so embarrassed by this oh, in I'm like not less listen. than 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, this has been uh, the Magnet Theater Podcast. Uh, uh, thanks to Grant Goldberg, as always, our engineer. Uh, thank you, as always, to you guys for listening. Uh, and thanks to our special guest today, Sebastian Canelli. Uh, uh, wonderful dude. Uh, Sebastian, where can people uh, find what you're doing these days? Uh, you could. I'm on Facebook. You can follow me there. Uh, you could go to the Magnet website, uh, look at my shows there. I also perform on Harold Nights at UCB once a week. Um, and then just keep an eye out. Uh, I do stuff all the time. Check them out, gang. <laughs> uh, please check us out online at our website to find out more about who we are and what we do. Magnettheater.com is that website. I've been Lewis Kornfeld. Thanks again for listening. Uh, 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 I hope, hope your day's going well, man. Enjoy. Thank you. Uh... You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. 